Um, let's get started with our Bible with our Bible class this morning. Let's get started with our with our Bible class. Glad everybody is having a good time. We're going to get started. If anybody wants to listen to me, but it's hey, that's a good this is a good problem to have. People are talking, a good mood. It's a beautiful day. That is wonderful. It's a good place to be. We're with God's people. We're together, and we love each other. And so I appreciate that. I, I sorry to bust up the party, but we got to get to some business at hand this morning. Uh, we're in lesson 14. If you don't have a workbook, we still got some extra ones. I believe Chad's been doing a really good job about making sure we always have that bin full there in the, out there in the hallway. We're in lesson 14. Believe it or not, but we're nearing the end of this. Only got a few classes left. Notice our journey. Look at the journey we've been on. We've been talking about authority and the importance of understanding the authority of the scriptures. We looked at things like inspiration and how God talks to us through the Bible and wrong attitudes, attitudes we need to avoid when it comes to Bible authority. And then we started getting into the nuts and bolts of this, looking at how to establish Bible authority, the difference between generic and specific authority. We talked about when we can tell, when an example in the Bible is a binding example, had classes on aids and additions, the silence of God, the universal church. We're talking about the church now, and, and Brother Greg gave a... a couple of classes on independent and autonomous churches. And I want to thank Brother Greg for, for teaching that. I was able to check out a lot of that on YouTube, and he did a wonderful job with that, just a wonderful job with, with those particular classes. I am truly grateful to him and Mitch for uh, helping, helping me out this year and doing just a, both of them did a fantastic job. I love them, and I appreciate them. Uh, as far as the last class goes, Lesson 13, uh, there are just a few takeaways, and, and I think Greg would go with me on this, that, that I think we need to just take away from that real quick. Number one, there is no organizational structure bigger than a local church. No organizational structure in the Bible that is bigger than a local church. Secondly, always remember the, the universal church, and we had a class on the difference between the universal church and the local church. The universal church is not made up of local churches. It's made up of individual Christians because there's some individual Christians who are not part of a local church. So if we just say it's all local churches, then we leave out a bunch of bunch of Christians on the earth and in the realm of, of, of Hades. But particularly um, those who have decided not to join a local church. So the universal church is made up of individual Christians, not local churches. Thirdly, we need to always understand that. No local church, no local church has authority to meddle in the affairs of another church. Now, you can ask questions and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that kind of stuff. But as far as our elders overseeing the flock at Valley, no, 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 sir, no, ma'am. And their elders can't shepherd over here. And how they do things over there has got nothing to do with how we do things over here. How they order their services and the things they do with their money has nothing to do with what we do over here. We have our own independent work apart from other local churches. Each local church has its own treasury, its own leadership, and its own work that it's doing. So we need to remember those things. So today, we're going to begin a few classes, probably three, uh, talking about specific works of the church. 
We're going to talk about specific works of the church. We're going to talk about the kind of work that God wants a church to do and the kind of work God doesn't want a church to do. That's what we're going to talk about. So let me just throw this out. Uh, after we have our prayer, I'm going to throw out a, a question of participation. I want to see what do you think about this, some things you've noticed in the religious world, maybe even among the churches of Christ. We're going to talk about the work of churches today, okay? Let's make sure we pray before we start that. Let's pray together. Holy God, we're so thankful, our Father, that you've blessed us as Christians, as members of your spiritual family, to come together, to learn, to grow together. We pray that you will bless us as a local church as we do your work, that we'll always just do the work that you want us to do, that we'll always stay focused on the kinds of things you want us to stay focused on. We pray for our elders here, our shepherds, the men who lead this flock, our deacons, our teachers, we pray that you will bless us all, Father, as we strive to work together to glorify you in this part of the country in this part, and in this part of the world. Forgive us, God. We pray that your hand of blessing be upon all of our young people here and all the Bible class teachers, that everything will be to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, and amen. So let me ask this question. Show of hands. Just so we can go, we can do this, you know, one by one. When you look at churches okay just churches in general what kinds of works are churches doing that you've noticed just give me one example per hand what are some things you've noticed start us up lance that's a great point so man that's a good one so lance says one of the things he's noticed is how a lot of churches are involved in the business of Raising kids, doing all the, the, the bulk of the work, the quote-unquote spiritual work for the young people. Uh, and I, we, we see that a lot. And in fact, one of the things a lot of churches will do to, to involve themselves in that work is they will hire a specialized guy, probably about 20 years old or so, 23 or 25, and he'll take all the kids. And you dump your kids off to him, and he's responsible for taking them to go get pizza and go skating and bowling and all that stuff supposed to help them serve Jesus. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a good one, Lance. Any other observations? Yes, Brother Kevin, then I'm coming to you, uh, Brother Ryan. So Brother Kevin says, General benevolence. So my understanding of that terminology, Brother Kevin, is the idea if you notice that churches are offering benevolence, money from the church treasury to feed everybody, take care of the world, in addition to their membership and other believers, the people on the street also. You got those soup kitchens and things like that that churches are doing. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, Ryan, he's going to say the same thing. Okay. Caleb, yes, sir. And then I'm coming to you, Nicole. Whoa. Yeah, so bringing in men from the outside, entertainers, sports guys, stuff, people like that, athletes, 
to come in and be like this person. Good role model. And stay. And that reminds me a lot of what we're reading in 1 Corinthians right now, where everybody in that church is focused on men. And Paul's like, hey, you remember this guy named Jesus? How about we try to be like Jesus and focus on Jesus Christ? That's a great one, Caleb. And Nicole and, and, and Tony, I'll come to you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, so recreational kind of stuff. And a lot of churches are doing that today. I mean, you got plays and the Easter stuff like that, Easter egg hunts. Churches are doing those today. So there's a lot of, I guess we could put that under the umbrella of the recreational kind of stuff, the fun stuff, the entertaining, entertaining stuff. Tony, and then, and then we may have a couple others. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, the Taste of Mesa or, or, uh, Recreation again. Whatever, yeah. yeah, no, that's right. Uh, anyone else see anything? Uh, Jason, and then Craig. The, the food, uh, I've even, I even know of some churches of Christ uh, in the South, and, and they believe in baptism of remission of sins like we do, but they have uh, contemporary worship and, and traditional worship. So one designed to be more for the young folks, have the rock band and the instruments and things like that, and then one, you know, for the older folks who may want to do the old school way. Uh, and that's designed to keep the, make everybody happy. Uh, so that you're absolutely right, the food, Fun, getting frolic, that kind of stuff. That's that's good, Greg. Uh, yes, sir. Also, there's a lot of religious bodies putting money into starting schools associated with the church. Secular education. How many churches you know of like that? And and that's uh, all kinds of churches do that. Uh, you know, the private schools, where a lot of that is coming from church money, uh, involved in the education business. Absolutely, and that would even be some of our own brethren who are doing that. Uh, one more that I need to get moving. Did somebody else have their hand up? Yes, Chad. Yes, sir. Uh, political attitude and helping with the people who are encouraging the other church of Nigeria to do that. The po man, y'all was looking at my papers. So <laughs> let me tell you what I put on mine. Y'all said all my answers. I, I couldn't, I had no shock factor today. Y'all are on top of this big time. I put on mine recreation. The, the fun and the games and stuff like that to bring the crowds in, particularly the kids and the young folks and the young families. Business. A lot of churches involved in the work of, of business, raising money with your bake sales and your car washes and things like that. Uh, benevolence to, the, to everybody, like Brother Kevin said. Secular education, put that on mine. And I put politics on mine. And we got to be careful with this idea of Christian nationalism, this language we hear in our society. No, sir, and no, ma'am. No, sir, and no, ma'am. That is not the church's job to get involved in politics and force Christianity on everybody in this country. That is not the, 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 the church's job to want a government set up, to make sure we set up a government where everybody 
is forced to be a Christian, because I promise you, if the government did that, we would be persecuted, because it's not going to be our form of Christianity. It's not going to be our form of Christianity at all. We're going to be persecuted if that's the case. We're going to be the outcast. We bring people to Jesus, not through government and politics. How do we bring people to Jesus? Through evangelism. Through, through teaching one person at a time. That's how we change the world. So there are churches involved in that kind of stuff. And Chad gave a good example of it going on even right here. Uh, getting into the political realm. We stay away from that as a church. And as, as individuals, that's a different story. We'll talk about that, but not as a church. So we're going to cut those comments off now. I just need you to listen for a, f a little bit, if you don't mind, please. The question is, are these works that we've talked about are okay? Does God want churches to be involved in these kind of works? And I think we will agree that as individuals, we can do this stuff, right? All that stuff you mentioned, hey, we can do that as individuals. But what about the church? You see, one of the big misunderstandings, especially even among some of our brethren, is the difference between individual action and church action. There's a lot of confusion with that. And so here's a big question we need to think about. Does the Bible make a distinction, and we highlight the word distinction, between the actions of churches, local churches, and individual Christians? Does the Bible make a distinction between the actions of churches and individual Christians? Now, for those who may struggle or who may suggest, I'm sorry, who may suggest that, um, no, there's no distinction. Whatever the individual can do, the church can do. Those who, those who may suggest that, let me show you how ridiculous that is, just logically. There are some logical consequences to not being able to see a distinction here. So if that is true, that when, when, people, when people say there's no distinction between what the individual does and what the church can do, so that means that when an individual Christian gets married, the church got married. When an individual Christian votes, the church votes. When an individual Christian starts a business, the church started that business also. When an individual Christian buys a house, the church also bought that house. When an individual Christian goes on a vacation, the church also went on that vacation. When an individual Christian gets intimate with their spouse, the church also got intimate with their spouse. When an individual Christian sins, the whole church is guilty of sin. Do you see the implications of this argument? The implications alone demonstrate that this idea that whatever the individual does, that constitutes the church doing it, the, the, the logical, the consequences alone show that's wrong. That's just, that's just dead wrong. But beyond the logical consequences of this, I want to suggest the Bible also says this, this is wrong. The Bible also makes a distinction between the actions of churches and individual Christians. So what I want to do is I want to just put a few things up here. I'm going to ask you just to reserve your hands for just a little bit. Once we get done with this, let me go through this, and I'll give you a chance to let me know by any observations you see or you think I missed, okay? I want to give you just a few things. I'm going to give you about five or six different things here that I think we need to understand there is a distinction the Bible makes between the actions of the church, the local church, in our case, the Monta Vista church, and you if you are an individual Christian, okay? 
So let's start with this. Young people, I want you to make sure, make sure you follow me here. This is very important for you, okay? So the local church and the Christian. There's a distinction the Bible makes when it comes to things that are domestic. Domestic distinctions. Now, when we use that word domestic, let's define our terms. When we talk about things that are domestic, we're talking about your family. We're talking about your home. Family and the home. As an individual Christian, you... If you're not bound to someone else, you're able to get married. You can get married. If you're single, you've never been married before, you can get married. You put your spouse away for sexual immorality, you can get married. If your spouse has died, you can get married. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and, verse, uh, 1 and 2, let every man have his own wife and every wife have her own husband. Individuals can get married. Now, you don't have to get married to go to heaven. You don't have to, but God says you can you can if you're not bound to someone else. You can also start a family with your spouse. Ephesians 6 talks about children, young people obeying your parents. As individuals, you got to do that. But a husband and a wife can come together and make, can make babies. They can have a family as individuals. And in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, the Bible says we have a responsibility to take care of our families, don't we? The Bible says if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an unbeliever. This particularly is for the men. Men have to work. Men have to take care of their families. And if we don't take care of our wife and our kids, we're not in good standing with the Lord. We have to take care of our family. That is our responsibility. In fact, beyond your wife and your kids, if you got parents who are, who are destitute and need your help, because in the context there, Paul's actually talking about widows. And if you got a, a mama who needs your help or a daddy, we have an obligation to help our parents too to give back to our parents. So that's the responsibility of the individual. But look at the, what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 16, please. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, and in verse number 16, the Apostle Paul, in the context still talking about widows and helping widows, particularly when is it okay for a widow to receive benevolence from a church or even be put on a permanent list to receive benevolence from a church. Paul says in verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that they may assist those who are widows indeed. So notice how Paul says here that when it comes to the church, there are certain things the church can be burdened with and there are certain things the church can't be burdened with or should not be burdened with. Now, today we just said people want to burden the church with everything today. But Paul says, no, sir, no, ma'am. There are certain things that God doesn't want a local church's treasury to be burdened with, particularly in this context, if a widow has a family who's able to take care of her. She has kids and grandkids who can help her. That family needs to step up and they need to help her so that the church can have its money freed up to help widows who are truly destitute, who don't have anybody to help them. Now, if there is no distinction to be made between the individual Christian and the local church, then what Paul is saying here makes absolutely no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. In fact, it would mean the church is acting the entire time in the process. And Paul says, no, there, there are certain things the church can't be burdened with. There are certain things the individual needs to do and the church needs to do. Do you see that in that text? That is about as clear as you can get. you got to work hard to miss that. But we don't just stop there. Economic distinctions. Now we're talking about money. Money. In Acts 18, 
verses 1 through 3, we read about the Apostle Paul having a job. And he met this wonderful couple named Aquila and Priscilla. They had jobs too. What did they do? They were tent makers. They worked with their hands, okay? Paul did that in Corinth. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, Paul says, as Christians, we don't steal. We don't steal. We have integrity. We work with our hands, and we earn money the right way. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10, Paul says, if a man doesn't work, you don't need to eat. What a, ver what a great verse for a lot of folks in our time today, right, who want to just sit down and do nothing, be lazy. Well, Paul says you don't work, you don't eat. So individual Christians, God says you can go to work. You can start a business. You remember what James said in James 4 and verse 13? Come now, you who say, today we'll go out and start a business, make a profit. James writing to Christians there. There's nothing wrong with starting a business. You want to start you a business? You get your money the right way? Start you a business. Individuals can do that. But what about the church? How is the church supposed to get money? Is the church supposed to get money in the, in the realm of business? What did we learn in 1 Corinthians 16? There's only one way the church is authorized to get money, and that's through what we did already today, a collection. A collection of the saints on the first day of the week. And there are many different ways that money can be gathered on the first day of the week. It can be gathered in baskets like we did. It can be gathered in collection plates. It can be gathered in a Zelle account. There are many different ways Christians can pool their resources on the first day of the week. We just need to make sure we do it on the first day of the week. And as a church, that's the only way the church fundraises is through a collection on the first day of the week. But then we come to benevolence. When we say benevolence, we're talking about helping people. Helping people with your money. I want to say a few things about this, so stay with me here, okay? Matthew 25, that's a judgment day scene. You know that, right? That's a great judgment day scene. Jesus says all the nations are going to be gathered before him like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And if you remember that text, as the Lord is judging these people, there's one main thing under consideration, and it's not how many church services that you go to. It's not that you finish your Bible reading plan. And don't misunderstand. You know I'm not saying that faithful church attendance is not important. You know that's important. You know we need to assemble. You know we need to read our Bibles, learn our Bibles, grow in our Bibles. My point is that's not the point or the emphasis of that text. And that text, the main thing under consideration is where you differ than a rich man that we talked about this morning. That you help people. That you help the hungry. That you use your resources to bless people. James 1 verse 27 says, pure and undefiled religion is to keep yourself unstained from the world, but also to do something else, to visit or help orphans and widows. Now, so often we go to that text and we want to say, wait a minute, church can't have a support an orphan's home. Because that's talking to the individual. And that's right. I agree with that. That's not talking to a local church there. But it's not enough just to know that and be against the orphan's home as a local church, what are we for? I wanna know what we're for, not what we're against right now. Are we doing that? Are we helping the orphans? Are we helping the widows? Are we helping the destitute people in society or are we saying, I'm not gonna help them, they're just gonna go buy booze with it. We, we, if we're gonna be New Testament Christians, then let's get to work, let's get busy here. Because the Bible says, that benevolence 
Money from our pocket needs to go to help Christians and non-Christians. That's what the Bible says. Galatians 6.10, let's do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Now, what about the church? Well, I put a lot of verses there. 1 Corinthians 16, Romans 15, Acts 11, all those verses say, and there are many others I could have put on here. I could have put like four or five others. But in every place you find benevolence when it comes to a church, that benevolence, that money from the treasury is always for Christians. Needy saints, specifically the Bible says. And those needy saints can be among that local group or in other places. The Bible is very specific about how the Lord's money is to be used. And think about it. If we were using our money to feed the world, there's not going to be a whole lot of money left to help the people God says need to be helped in his family. So you see the wisdom of God with this, really. God says, I want individuals to help everybody. But the, but the money from the church is to help a specific group of people, which are Christians. So I'm going I'm to pause right there because I'm saying a lot. I want to just see, is there anything you want to say about these three things do you see the distinction the Bible was making here? Or maybe you think I'm making something up here. Do you see the distinction? Does it make sense to you what we're seeing here? Let's go to the next one. Spiritual distinctions. Now, when I talk about spiritual distinctions here, I'm talking about particularly when it comes to correcting a sinful Christian. Because Christians sometimes get in sin, they need to be corrected. So in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, you who are spiritual, and who's supposed to be spiritual? Well, all of us, right? I'm supposed to be a spiritual person. You, you too. So if we're spiritual, we're supposed to try to restore a sinful brother in a spirit of gentleness. But make sure we, you know, keep watch over ourselves so we don't be tempted. Paul there is talking to individual Christians. Look at Matthew 18. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Because this is one we need to consider. Matthew, this is, a, this is one where the Lord Jesus makes the point crystal clear. Matthew 18, 15. Matthew 18, 15 says, if, you're, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Now, let's stop right there because usually we don't even get the first part of this right. We don't even get the first part right. We see a brother sin and we just look at it. We'll see a brother sin. We're going to talk to our spouse about it. Or somebody will offend us and we'll just go pout about it, you know, at home a little bit. We'll go talk to our spouse. We'll keep, our, we'll keep it to ourselves. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said a little word with two letters. Go. You go and you talk about it. You show him his fault in private. Don't go to the elders first. Don't go to the elders and be like, well, you know, I saw a brother or sister so-and-so do this. What y'all going to do about that? What are you going to do about it? That's your responsibility, too. You saw it. Go handle it. Come back to us on the a, on a next step. You go deal with it. Jesus said, you go. You show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, one, your brother. If, he, if you can get somebody to repent one-on-one, -on -one, the elders don't even need nobody. It's over. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you. Okay, now go grab you, Mitch. Go grab you, Dave. Go grab Rick. Go grab Rick. Go grab Jason. Go grab them. Okay, go grab them now. Let's go together. We'll sit down, try to get this brother to repent. We'll try to get him to repent. If he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you. So by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact can be confirmed. This is the work of individuals. 
This is the work of individuals right here. But look at verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, the individuals, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to use the Gentiles as a tax collector. Now you pull back fellowship. When does the church get involved? Is the church involved in the entire process here? Step three, Lance. The church doesn't even get involved until step three. But think about this. If, if what the individual does constitutes the church acting, then the church been acting the whole time. And what Jesus says makes no sense at all. The Lord is like totally wrong, wrong here. And what he's saying makes no sense. Individuals start this process. Then the church works together. And if the brother or sister still doesn't repent, then the church pulls back. Fellowship. We use the word withdrawal, withdrawal fellowship. Spiritual distinctions. Do you see that? One more real quick. One more. Social distinctions. Talk a little bit about social distinctions. What can individuals do when it comes to the realm of, we were talking about recreation, social, you know, having some fun. Are we just like boring people? We don't like to have fun. I mean, Christians don't like having fun. I love having fun. I love going to basketball games. I love playing basketball, love being with Christians and eating. Didn't we, didn't we do that yesterday? Y'all, for those of y'all who were at Brother Dwight's memorial, did you have a good time? Did you have a good time yesterday? Did the church pay for any of that? Now that was, that was good sisters, good brothers putting food together, and we had a good time. We ate, enjoyed each other. The Bible says we can do that as individuals. Acts 2.46 says, Day by day, the early Christians broke bread together, spent time together. That's great. But what about the church? Do we find churches in the Bible using the Lord's money for barbecue and pizza and Starbucks and donuts? Absolutely not. In fact, Paul rebuked the Corinthians because they were coming together for the purpose of recreation and they're going to take the Lord's Supper after they were finished. But they just messed up God's plan completely. And Paul said... Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? You, you, you've come together as a church for the wrong purpose. And we got to be mindful of that. Our work as a church is spiritual. Teaching the gospel, encouraging Christians, spiritual discipline. And as far as the recreation, the fun, the eating, we do that. But we do that with our own money, with our own homes, with our own time outside of the spiritual work we are doing as a church. So let's stop right there. That's, that's the list I want to do right now. Any comments you have about the domestic distinctions, economic, benevolent, spiritual, social, uh, I'll give you the opportunity right now to make comments if you want to comment on any of these things. Please feel free to. Yes, ma'am, Sister Carol. Go right ahead, ma'am. Yes, some translations actually have that. Mine, the New American Standard, doesn't, but some translations do. And I think there's evidence to suggest that that is the original language there. If your brother sins against you. And you know what, Sister Carol, I'm going to be honest with you. That will make it even easier for a lot of folks. Because sometimes when somebody offends, sins against us, we'll go talk to everybody else about it except the person who sinned against us because most people don't like confrontation. 
Who likes confrontation? I hate confrontation. I hate it. But I, I'm a, and I'm not saying y'all know me by now after four years. Y'all know I don't I don't brag. I don't I don't like doing that stuff. But I will be honest with you. There have been times when I've had to do that, and it was hard. You talk about some hard Christianity. Go to a brother alone and talk about something they've done against you that you were offended by or a sin you've noticed, that's hard. And that really challenged me doing that. But I, I did it because if I'm going to be a disciple, I, I got to do all of what Jesus says. Got to do it all. So uh, comment well taken, Sister Carol. Uh, and Brother Lance, yes, sir, and then Don, I'm coming to you, sir. Can you, would you mind reading that, Lance, if you don't mind, sir? Yeah, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 32. It says, give no offense, and this is talking about eating meat for yes. idols, right? And then it says, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Now, and Paul is really dealing with that because he even talks about in verse 27 there, if unbelievers invite you in, go, it's fine, go eat, you know? But even if you continue on, it's even clearer, verse 32. Great, great observation there. I'm sorry I missed that. But that's the right, y'all might want to jot that down, verse 32 there. Uh, Brother Don, you had your hand up, sir. And when, when, you look at, when you look at the whole list of things, I think it's kind of like we were talking the other day about why some congregations don't want elders to make a list. Right. I think we can make a, a list of reasons why people want to push all of this onto the congregation. You can. So that they don't have to do it. So I don't have, man. Thank you, Don. For, so let me say something about that. I, I think that's a great point. If, if, if I'm putting money in the plate, the church can handle it. I don't have to do it. That's a great point. I don't have to really teach my kids the Bible. The church going, we got this youth minister, and he ain't teaching them the Bible either. He give teaching them how to eat some pizza. That's about it. I don't, I don't have to help people if, it's going, if I'm giving to the church. I don't have to help people. That's not New Testament Christianity. Yeah, yes, it's tax, yes, it's tax deductible. So we're trying to find these ways out of discipleship by passing it on to the church. And that's not New Testament Christianity. That's not what you find in the Bible. That's not James 1.27. That's not Galatians 6.10. That's not Matthew 25. So that, that's, that's a great point. Uh, Brother Ryan, did you have your hand up, sir? I was just going to say on the money piece, it's not our money anyway. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and that's something where maybe we don't talk about it enough because we don't want to get off into the prosperity gospel. But that is a biblical principle. And so often we rob ourselves of blessings because we're stingy. We don't trust God. We don't trust God to take care of us if we give as we're supposed to as, a, as on the first day of the week and to help people every day. And what did God tell the people in Malachi's day? I would pour out my blessings on you, you know, if you trusted me with your resources. And they wouldn't. They were robbing God. Uh, last thing I want to say real quick. Those are great comments. One more dis distinction I want to make. And then on Wednesday and next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to start really looking at this even in more detail. Because this is a lesson the elders really wanted to make sure, you know, the folks really got it under understood. So we're going to give it due diligence, okay? 
But the fellowship, fellowship with God, okay? We're talking about relationship with God, being in communion with God. There's a distinction the Bible makes when it comes to that also. For example, remember the disciples at Sardis in the, in the book of Revelation. Jesus wasn't happy with that church overall. But he says there were a few there who had not what? They hadn't soiled their garments. So that, that shows me that you can have a church that could be on the verge of having their candle, you know, their light put out, their candlestick put out, but there are some there who's pleasing to Jesus. You can't judge all the individuals by the whole. If, I mean, I don't know what else to get from that passage, but that, it's, it's pretty obvious. Jesus says, overall, this church is messed up. But there are some there that, that, that are serving me and they're faithful. That's what Jesus said. If Jesus said it, I'm going to go with Jesus every day of the week. If Jesus said it. So they had fellowship with God. But what about Saul of Tarsus? Remember, Saul was initially denied fellowship into the church at Jerusalem. They said, no, you, you, you still the persecutor. We don't trust you. And we know the rest of it. Barnabas takes up for him. But at first they denied him fellowship. Now, did their denial of his fellowship mean that he wasn't in fellowship with God? No, he was in fellowship with God. But the disciples denied him fellowship because they can't read his heart. They don't, they don't know everything about him like God does. So you can be denied fellowship by a church, but still be right with God because God knows everything. The Apostle John, remember that guy named Diotrephes in 3 John? Diotrephes trying to run the church. He's, he's the sign who can come into church, who can't come into the church. And he says, John says he was giving us problems. He, John said that he was rejecting us. Now, just because Diotrephes was rejecting John, did that mean God was rejecting John? Notice how there's a distinction between, to be made between the fellowship that John had with God and with another Christian. They don't, not, they don't go together always. And then the church. The church. The immoral brother was in fellowship with those Christians in Corinth before Paul told them they needed to take some action. He was a member of that church, worshiping with that church, but he was with his father's wife. Now, the fact that the fact that he was in good standing with that church mean that he was in good standing with God? No, he was out of standing with God, but he was in fellowship with the brethren. You can be in fellowship in a local church. You can be in good standing with Monta Vista, but God can be looking at you saying, no, you're not in fellowship with me. What about Diotrephes, 3 John? Diotrephes is rejecting John, and he's accepted by the church he's part of, but just because he's leading or trying to run that church and he's part of that church, does that mean he was in fellowship with God? John said, when I get there, I'm going to deal with him. He's not in fellowship with God. And then one more real quick. I don't know who this Jezebel person was uh, in the church at Thyatira. Uh, probably maybe some woman in there who was uh, a, some kind of leading figure and was teaching false doctrine. But she, was, she had a lot of influence in this church, a lot of influence. But did that mean she was in fellowship with God because she was in fellowship with the church there? Here's the point. There's even distinctions the Bible makes when it comes to fellowship. When it comes to us today, while most of us are members with, at Monta Vista and we're in fellowship with each other, we need to make sure first and foremost we're in fellowship with God. Because just because the elders may have accepted us and other Christians here may have accepted us, that doesn't mean God has accepted us. We want to make sure we're in fellowship with God first 
And then that would make even more meaningful our fellowship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Men can get things wrong. God never gets things wrong because God knows everything. So we'll stop right there. I, I thought we were some, some good comments today. We're going to dig deeper in, in, in lesson 15. So Lord willing, we got lesson 15 and 16, and then we're going to be wrapping this up. And y'all just been so great and so wonderful, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your attention.